I was in the middle of Shabbat morning services. We had a wonderful young woman who was becoming bat mitzvah that morning. One of my staff members motioned for me to come off the bima, which is very unusual. So I assumed that there was an infrastructure problem, like a water main break or a problem with the chalas for the for the community snack that we have afterwards called Kiddush. And so I went, I waited a little bit until it was the right time. And then I slipped off the bima, which is the place where that we lead services from. I slipped off the bima and went outside and my um, maintenance person for the day told me that there had been a shooting at a synagogue in Poway. And my heart leapt into my throat. Friday at sundown, many Jews will observe Shabbat, a day of rest where many disconnect from the world and attend services. But this Shabbat holds a special significance. It will be the first Shabbat since a gunman attacked a synagogue in Poway, killing one woman and injuring three others. After killing 60-year-old Lori Gilbert Kay and injuring Rabbi Israel Goldstein, the shooter's gun jammed. That likely saved many lives. This weekend, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Sikhs, and more will likely reflect on this act of hate as religious services begin. Throughout this week, UT photojournalist Sam Hodson has been speaking with faith leaders across the community and making intimate portraits of them in their houses of worship. Those faith leaders penned essays for this Sunday's newspaper about faith and tolerance. And they shared with us messages of resolve as only they could. In prayer. At the top of this episode, Rabbi Devora Marcus of Temple Emmanuel San Diego described where she was when the shooting broke out. Today, she and other faith leaders will tell us about how they stood before their congregations and responded. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton. And this is a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. So um, I asked him if we knew which synagogue and if we knew how many people had been hurt. And they weren't sure yet at the time. And so I took a deep breath. I saw that the San Diego Police Department already had officers there and our gates were locked and closed. Our team had followed all of our security procedures beautifully. So... Um, I took a deep breath and right away the words from our tradition popped into my head, Chazak um, ve'amatz, which is the phrase that Moses says to the Israelites as he's transitioning leadership from himself to Joshua. And as the Israelites are preparing to return to their homeland, Chazak um, ve'amatz means be strong and resolute. So um, I took a deep breath. I thought, and I knew that I needed to go back into my congregation and complete the service and help finish this important life cycle moment for this young woman. There wasn't anything that we could do in that moment for the people who had been shot and who had experienced that evil and that terror. So um, I did what Jews throughout the centuries have done, which was carry on with Jewish life, said a prayer for everyone who was hurting, praying that the impact would be as minimal as possible, and that anyone who is injured would be healed. Um, and went back up onto the bima and led the rest of the service, gave the bat mitzvah girl her blessing, waited until the very end, and then we announced to the congregation that there had been, I didn't want to say shooting, 
um, inside the sanctuary. So I said that there had been an incident at a synagogue in Poway and that they would see police when we went outside, but that our campus was secure and that we would continue on because we wouldn't allow terrible people to destroy our lives. That was Rabbi Devorah Marcus of Temple Emmanuel of San Diego. And in the studio right now, we have Sam Hodson, a photojournalist with the Union Tribune. Sam, after the shooting in Poway, why did you choose to tell this story in this unique way? So I first heard about the shooting. Uh, I was spending this lovely day with my wife and my daughter. Had my one-year-old running around this park at Normal Heights. My phone buzzed, and I looked at the push notification and first learned about the shooting. Uh, And like so many of us, I sort of instantly got wrapped up into scrolling through Twitter, trying to find out what happened, the scope of what happened. And just to my left was the the Normal Heights uh, United Methodist Church. And there was a street fair going on and people going in and out of the church and uh, just kept thinking to myself, do they know? Do they know what's happened? Uh, It was pretty clear that they didn't because everyone was still smiling. Everybody's having a good time. Nobody had sort of taken that long, somber face that I had I had taken on in, in knowing what happened. And so my, my question then turned to, well, what happens when they find out? What happens inside of a house of worship when people find out that this has happened in their own backyard? And when it comes to these stories, which frankly happen too often, reporters and photographers tend to have the tendency to fall into the same narrative. You see all the details come out, people have press conferences, and the cycle goes on. So choosing to focus on the faith community is a way of reframing this story. So how do you feel that this story and these narratives subvert the usual way these mass shootings are covered? Yeah, I've had to go to a number of these around the country, and there is a formula to the way that not only the media responds, but the the people involved respond. Uh, And you see it come through in the pictures that come out in the newspaper. It always starts with uh, the police, you know, storming a a shooter's house or uh, people crying outside of a place of worship, outside of a movie theater, outside of a school. Uh, Then you start seeing the flowers. You start seeing the candles come out. Uh, There's funerals. And uh, then the, the cycle of news sort of ends. And so I instantly started to think to myself, what can we do that's a week or two out? What can we do once the funeral is over, once they've lit the last candle? And what can we do that isn't just part of that same narrative? Because having seen this happen so many times and feeling the frustration of a city, a state, a country, that this just keeps happening, I almost selfishly just had to do something different because it felt like if I just kept doing the same thing and we all just kept doing the same thing, we were going to have the same outcome. So even just taking a step back and talking to faith leaders and asking them about what their prayers were for the people of Poway, for the people of Chabad, it just felt like the right thing to do. Certainly understandable. And even uh, the members of the Shooters Church are having to deal with the ramifications of the actions of one of their congregants, the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Escondido. But it's also notable that the rabbi, Israel Goldstein, wanted a member of the Border Patrol who's a new part of the congregation, Jonathan Morales, to be armed. So 
it seems like even churches and synagogues, in a sense, are defending themselves if they can, if necessary. Yeah, and that's a conversation that I had with a lot of the faith leaders as I talked to them. Uh, We didn't just talk about what their prayers were. We didn't just talk about what pieces of scripture that they turned to. I also learned a bit about them, uh, learned a bit about where they were when they heard about the shooting and also heard about how they were planning to secure their place of worship going forward. And there certainly wasn't universal agreement about what they were going to do, but there were a lot of folks who said, we have law enforcement who come to our congregation, and for a long time, we've encouraged people who uh, are trained with these weapons, not just trained, but who are who it is their role to to carry these weapons in the course of their work to bring them uh, to bring them when they pray here to help keep us safe. And that idea of having a point of defense is mentioned by some of the faith leaders. So let's hear from Reverend Dr. J. Lee Hill Jr. of the Christian Congregational Church of San Diego. I was actually with my family. Um, we were spending Saturday in a way that brings joy to all of us. We were headed down to the beach and um, having lunch in Pacific Beach and wanting to grab some ice cream and kind of spend some time walking on the pier. And uh, I received uh, uh, a message on my phone uh, saying that there had been um, a tragic shooting in Poway. The moment felt unreal. Um, um, it was a moment of pause and just um, a kind of hushed cry of God, no. Um, and realizing that um, as a person deeply involved in interfaith justice work that, um, that I needed to start moving um, to reach out to colleagues uh, that I knew um, and um, expressed my, my prayers um, um, and my own lament um, that what has been transpiring around the globe um, and certainly around the country had now come to San Diego. Psalm 27 is one that always um, comes to mind and, and, and brings hope to me. Um, a Psalm of David um, and a word offering help for today and hope for tomorrow. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besage me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. May all beings be happy and well. May no harm or difficulty come to them. May they live in peace and harmony. May I be happy and well. May no harm or difficulty come to me. May I live in peace and harmony. May my family be happy and well. 
May my teachers be happy and well. May my friends be happy and well. May strangers be happy and well. May my enemies be happy and well. May no harm or difficulties come to them. May they live in peace and harmony. May all beings be happy and well. May no harm or difficulties come to them. May they live in peace and harmony. This is called loving kindness or metta meditation. And I recall this because it uh, includes all people. And it goes from um, thinking of ourselves, our families, to those that uh, we may not know and especially our enemies. Uh, this is based on the uh, Buddhist uh, uh, the one truth. Uh, there are several, but the interdependence that we're all related to each other in some way and we affect each other, uh, whether we're um, you know, living beings or inanimate objects, everything on this wor- earth interacts and is dependent on the other. And so we realize that as humans, uh, whatever we do has an effect on others. So it's that uh, positive, loving kindness that I think is important. That as faith uh, leaders, I think we need to mobilize ourselves on uh, the compassion of how we treat each other. And uh, part of it is that uh, the sense of acceptance that uh, I think those who uh, perpetuate these violence uh, acts do so because they feel alienated and unaccepted. And that was Reverend Kenji Akahoshi, resident minister of the Buddhist Temple of San Diego. In both of their messages, they seem to deal with the issue of grief and what to do when one is attacked. So when you were speaking to these two individuals, how did you feel when they kind of had different ways of addressing when one is attacked? Yeah, I mean, I think that they they both wanted peace and security in the world and especially in their houses of worship. And they didn't want this hate to sort of wash up onto their doorstep. Uh, what Reverend Akahoshi said really stuck with me, I think, because it kind of mirrored what we learned about Lori Kay during her funeral. Uh, Lori's daughter, Hannah, got up and gave this incredible, incredible uh, speech that I, I can't imagine putting together. But his hatred does not shadow the love of my mother and the love of the community she was a part of, the love of the synagogue that was built by eager and precious hands ready to serve and celebrate one another in the spirit and sacredness of Judaism. I know my mother has already forgiven this man who shot her, not only because she had a profound and motherly capability to forgive me and our history together, but because her mission, how she lived her life, and her decision to preserve the life of the leader of the community, the children, all of us, automatically banishes the hatred that tried to take her light. I think that's the sentiment we were hearing from Reverend Nakahoshi, and he even sort of took it a step further that uh, that trying to understand your fellow man, that the golden rule, that doing unto others, that that was the kind of thing that was going to prevent these things from happening going into the future. Uh, All of the faith leaders expressed that there was obviously something wrong with this young man. They don't all agree about what to do about it necessarily, but uh, Reverend Akahoshi was trying to tell us if, if there was more love in this world, if there was more acceptance in this world, if we all treated each other a little better without, without excusing what had been done, but that if we all accepted each other a little bit more, that uh, we could maybe prevent some of these things from happening in the first place.
And finally, let's hear from Rabbi Scott Meltzer of Orshalom Synagogue. In our tradition, about saying prayers that are meaningful as opposed to what the tradition calls a prayer that is levatala, that is, it serves no purpose. The general idea is the examples given in the Talmud. If you're approaching your city and you see smoke coming up from part of the city from outside the walls, one doesn't pray, please God, let it not be my house, because it's already decided. Whatever house is on fire, it's decided. Another example in the Talmud is when one finds out that they're pregnant or their wife is pregnant. One doesn't pray that it should be of this gender or that gender because it's already decided. So we pray about things that haven't been determined yet. So when it was announced that there had been a shooting, it's to acknowledge that already something terrible had happened. Announced that there were people who were injured, as again, it has already happened. So the prayer that immediately came to my mind and that we recited as a congregation on Saturday morning is a prayer of healing. That is the one thing we knew that, uh, that was in process was that there were people who were directly injured, both those who were shot, who, uh, who had physical injuries, all of those who were around them who were injured in their spirit, who were affected by, traumatized by, uh, and therefore injured in the experience. And truthfully, as over these last couple of days, that sense of shattered sanctuary has injured many, many people. Uh, and we all have that feeling that the, the shooting of any one of us is a shot at all of us. And that's not about the Jewish people or the Muslims in Christ Church or the experience in, in Sri Lanka. That's about all of us as human beings, anytime any one of us is injured or threatened. Um, and so to acknowledge in the prayer, without knowing any names or any numbers, on Saturday to pray for those who were shot, for those who were witnesses and traumatized, and for everybody who is being traumatized by knowing the story of hate and knowing the experience of vulnerability in the face of that hate, and that they are all included in this prayer. May the one who blessed all of our ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Rachel and Leah, bring blessing and healing to all of those who have been shot, who have been injured, who have been traumatized. May the Holy Blessed One mercifully restore them to health and vigor. May God grant them physical and spiritual healing together with all others who are ill. And together let us all say, Amen. And uh, finally, after hearing all of those different voices, it underscores part of the narrative of mass shootings. The moment after it happens, you see online, Hundreds of people sending their thoughts and prayers to those affected by the shooting. So what is it like talking to people who send literal thoughts and prayers after these tragedies? Did that kind of contrast mean anything to you when it was happening? Yeah, the phrase thoughts and prayers has almost become politicized. When you see it coming from politicians, when you see it on the internet, it's almost become shorthand for I do not support gun reform. Uh, and, and that's certainly the way that a lot of people who do support gun reform 
see it when someone says thoughts and prayers. They see it as a cop out. They see it as uh, they see it as someone saying that they don't support change in the way that our country's gun laws work. Uh, these are people who who have devoted their life to prayer. These are people for whom saying that they have a prayer for someone is not a cop-out. And many of them have pretty strong views about what else we can do in our country, in our society, to make these things stop happening. Uh, to them, prayer is the way that they go about processing these events. Prayer is a way of life to them. And I think that's part of why Rabbi Goldstein has been calling for people to take moments of silence to reflect on what has happened so we can process this grief instead of just going forward with our lives without acknowledging the tragedy that has touched this community and thousands nationwide. Yeah. Sometimes it can be just as valuable to say nothing as it is to, uh, to say a prayer. All right, Sam Hodson, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this special episode of San Diego News Fix. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sim Hodson and edited by Beto Alvarez. Special thanks to San Diego Fox 5 for audio. Many UT reporters, videographers, and editors helped cover this week's tragic events, and they include Christina Davis, Peter Rowe, John Wilkins, J. Harry Jones, Terry Figueroa, Jennifer Vangrove, Michelle Guerrero, Abby Hamlin, Morgan Cook, Lauren Schroeder, Alex Riggins, Greg Moran, Jeff McDonald, Andrew Dyer, Pam Cragen, Gary Worth, Paul Sisson, Kristen Takeda, Pauline Rapard, Gary Robbins, Joshua Emerson Smith, John Kelly, Jared Vallier, Casey Alfred, Sam Hodson, Ann Palmer IV, Nelson Peta, Ricky Young, Mark Platt, Alma Sasenia, and Dana Littlefield. <laughs>